0: Thank you.
1: monkeys what's up old uncle silverback here with you on the arm day podcast today is friday it's the 13th of april 2012 well as you can tell the show was a little bit late if you are following me over on twitter or on uh, facebook i think i put out a thing that the show would be late due to family illness my daughter got sick and so you know things get pushed back Uh, but anyway if you want uh, you can follow me over there again on facebook which is the Armed Ape? Just if you like the uh, listener page or the fan page over there, uh, it'll you get the updates when I post stuff over there. Also, if you want to follow me on Twitter, which is just Armed Ape, you can do that over there, over there as well. I, I don't. I do uh, a little bit more with Twitter, I find, than I do with Facebook. And I also retweet a lot of links that I think are real interesting or that can pertain to us kind of the people with our mindset of, you know, taking responsibility and being prepared and things like that and kind of wanting to know, uh, watch the government and see sort of what's going on and kind of what they're thinking and what things are coming down the pipe for us. Uh, But anyway, again, uh, like I said, I think I do a little bit more with Twitter. Um, I like Facebook, but they change that thing every two seconds over there. So just when I get used to something, they change it. So I, I tend not to do as much with Facebook as, uh, you know, as maybe some other people do. And, you know, I wonder if it's going to, how long before it becomes the uh, the next MySpace and something else replaces it. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, Twitter, I think, may have a thing where it has a little bit more longevity because it's so brief and it's, Twitter really seems to be designed especially for like the mobile stuff. So like for your... For your mobile phones and iPhones and iPads and stuff like that. It seems to be like almost just tailor-made for that. Uh, Anyway, let's go ahead and get some of our contact info out of the way. If you want to contact the show, you got some feedback or you're going to enter into one of our contests or something like that, you can uh, use the voicemail which is 206 745 81 ape 206-745-2731 If... You would rather uh, record your own stuff, uh, so an MP3 or a WAV file, uh, or if you would uh, prefer that you just send in a regular email to me and I read that out for you. That's not a big deal; be more than happy to do that for you. And you can send that to me at, thearmedape at gmail.com. all one word: thearmedape@gmail.com. Now, earlier I had mentioned a contest, and we've got a sponsor for the show, which is Jacob, and he has a website called. GunGuyBooks.com. So if you go over uh, to there, and I'll put a link to it over on thearmedape.com. What we'll do is I'm going to play a song at the end of the uh, podcast, and it's gonna, and I'll I'll let you know that this is the 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 contest song, and uh, then you can send it in. And whoever gets the answer of it will send it in. If there's more than one person that gets the answer um, for the prize. What well, I'll do is I'll just put them in a little random generator and I'll assign somebody a number and then just, you know, do a random uh, number generator thing on the web and then that way it'll pick it for me. Um, so if you go over to his site, go, I'd say go over there and check that out. He's got a lot of books that pertain to guns, a lot of books that would be a little bit more guy-centric, although, you know, there's stuff over there for the ladies as well. Uh, but probably it's going to, it's going to be more interesting to the guys and stuff like that. So, uh, what else was I going to say? Um, oh, so what the prize will be is whoever wins the prize, whoever wins the contest will, um, I'll send you the coupon code. I'll get in touch with him. He'll give me the coupon code and you'll be over there to go over to his site, put in the coupon code and get whatever. It may be a free thing. It may be a discount. Uh, you know, for us on, on certain books over there. Uh, so I wanted to say thanks to Jacob for sending that in. Uh, we may do a thing where, uh, you know, whoever uh, sends in the most feedback, I'd kind of thought about that. But, you know, what I may do is just have it, I, I like I said, I may do contests or something like that. Or, or maybe have you uh, post something to the Facebook page, you know, certain photos of this and that or something like that. So... Anyway, we've got some feedback today. As you can tell, I'm... Uh, or you may be able to tell, I don't know. Um, I'm out in the park today. And so you may hear cars going by or an airplane overhead. You may hear the uh, birds chirping, wind blowing, stuff like that. So uh, hopefully you'll be able to hear the birds chirping. I always like to... Uh, it's always real relaxing for me to hear them uh, with their bird song and stuff. So, But anyway... Let's go ahead and I'll jump in with this first bit of feedback, which is actually an email that I got from Mike and he's talking about a couple of different things. And uh, he's talking a little bit about water storage and also about some uh, plumbing emergency repairs or emergency plumbing repairs. (laughs) That's probably a better way to say it, huh? Um, So I'll go ahead and I wanna talk about the plumbing thing first. In his email, he had sent it uh, kind of the other way around. Uh, he has He's talking about, um, on the subject of plumbing issues, the things to always have are shark bike fittings, a small tubing cutter. And you find the mini tubing cutter that does 3 quarter inch pipe and down. So the 3 quarter inch pipe and smaller. And that way you'll be able to fit this cutter anywhere that they put the pipe, in most cases. Uh, you also want to keep some PEX pipe on hand. It's cheaper than copper, it's flexible, and in a tight space, it's a lot easier to work with than copper. Uh, You can get SharkBite fittings to do just about anything, and they are removable with the tool they sell. And this tool is cheap, so you need to get one in a half-inch size and in three-quarter-inch size. And he has a link to check out the SharkBite fittings. And then Mike goes on to say that he was a plumber and he did a lot of... uh, um, repairs where he was having to sweat out the joints. Um, I think I maybe had talked about this a couple of shows ago, but for those of you guys that don't know, usually when you're working with copper, the way that you get a good watertight seal is you'll use solder. You don't just, you know, shove the pipes together. Uh, Cause water will it would leak right out of there. So what you do is you'll, you'll usually clean the ends of the pipe and maybe the inside of the fitting and you put with a, uh, I guess you'd call it maybe a medium called flux. And then you, you'll you put them together and then you heat it up with a torch. You, you'll put like the joint together in the fitting with the pipe. You'll heat that up and then uh, once that gets to a, a hot enough, you'll take and you'll roll out the solder. Which, uh, if you guys have never seen that or you don't know what solder is, it's basically kind of... Uh, Oh, it's it's like silver colored. It almost looks, and it's real soft and pliable. Um, it usually comes on a roll, and you can roll it out. It's thick. It's like almost like uh, like fettuccine or something like that in thickness. You know, if you if you uh, if it was round. And then what you'll do is when you when that uh, the pipes get hot enough, you'll put that in there, and that flux I think helps suck it up, uh, for lack of a you know better description, and I'm probably not giving the actual correct one, but in layman's terms it kind of sucks it up in there and then as it cools it basically forms a seal so you put it around there and it goes in there and it forms a good seal uh and so when you sweat a pipe let's say if you were wanting to take a joint apart or you didn't really like how it was done you can heat it back up and what it'll do is that uh that solder heats back up and kind of goes back into a liquid and then it will it'll kind of flow back out and then you can take it apart again um so that's what he's talking about with that. Uh, so he talks about how he's, you know, had to sweat a lot of pipes. He's plumbed houses and he's done gas work and uh, all that stuff. But he says, now when I have a project to do around the house, I don't use a torch. I use the SharkBite fittings. And I hope this helps. And uh, he signs up, Mike. And like I said, he's got a, another part that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Um now I, I was in I, I want to say I was in Lowe's I, but it may have been Depot I can't remember which place it was and I saw these fittings and they're very very similar to to what Mike is talking about with uh, with the shark bite things although these were called something like alligator jaws or alligator clamp or something like that and the way that it worked was you they were basically um, compression fittings and it, it's, it's real hard to describe kind of in an audio thing. You almost need to see how they work. But basically, it's like a, a fitting type thing. And so what you can do is you can join copper to copper. You can join copper to PVC. You can join it to other stuff because it's a compression joint. So you'll, you'll put, let's say, tubing in one end. And then once you push it in, it kind of, for lack of a better word, it kind of bites down on, on that pipe or that tubing and then it forms a seal, and on the other end, and then, so you've got you put that in a one end of the fitting, and it's kind of like oh a little two or three inch tube looking thing, and it's got these compression fittings on the end of it. And on the other end, you could you put in the other material, so you could put in another copper pipe, or you could put in you know flex tubing um, PVC, whatever. And again, it goes in and then you can't pull it out cause it's a compression fitting. Now he said that they were removable with the shark bites and it's the same thing that's, um, with these alligator jaws. And I, I, I can't remember if that's the right name for them or not. But anyway, um, you have this tool and what it does is it kind of, for lack of a better terms, it releases that compression fitting so you can take them off. So they would be really helpful, Uh, for a temporary fix if you had a leak or you needed to divert something for a little bit but you still wanted to keep water flowing you could you know maybe rig something up uh, real easy with that one of the things i was thinking about using it for is uh, a while back i think i told you our uh, washer and dryer kind of took a shit and so i had to you know replace those and i have a swamp cooler and i live out in arizona for the maybe you guys are listening maybe for the first time So out here, of course, it gets super hot. And most of the time, the weather out here, it's very, very dry. So, you know, they always joke, oh, it's a dry heat. So the way that an evaporative cooler, or sometimes they'll call them a swamp cooler, the way that they work is you run water to them, they go down over these pads, and then you've got basically a fan or a blower, and that sucks air in through those pads once they become saturated, and it cools through evaporation. It cools the air. So that... Even when it's 90 degrees or so, or 95, as long as it's not very humid outside, which usually out here it's not, as long as it's not real super humid, you, um, you'll you get cool air. It'll, it'll drop the temperature by 15, sometimes 20 degrees. And especially if the sun's not out, if it's more in the evening, you really get the benefit of it. But anyway, I had had the water, I had rigged it up to where it had gone out from the, um, the line that goes into the, the cold water line that goes into the washing machine. And I had that going out to the outside where the swamp cooler is. Well, when we had to get the new ones, the fittings never worked right. And I I got them kind of sort of hooked back up, but it always kind of leaked and everything. So what I do, I, I do have a hose bib that I put out on the side of the house out where the, um, the uh, swamp cooler is so I'm going to need to run some line out there Uh, but where I've got the hose bib is is I ran it with PVC so I needed something that was going to go from PVC to copper uh, because I'm going to go above ground with the copper and I'll just paint that to prove uh, uh, one of this plumber guy that I know gave me kind of the tip on painting it uh, if it's going to be above ground so I'll go ahead and paint that line, but I needed to be able to, to have something that would be a good transition. And I was looking at those alligator jaws and I was thinking, well, will this thing work or not? But, uh, again, I think, you know, through Michael's recommendation, I definitely will give it a, I'll, I'll give it a shot and see how it does. Um, one of the things, you know, with a swamp cooler too is, uh, again, depending on the climate, is that you can actually really reduce your summer cooling bills, especially out here in in states like you know Arizona, probably parts of Texas, parts of New Mexico, Nevada. All those places would benefit from that because it's just you don't usually have the humidity. Um, because all you're really running is like a little tiny water pump and um uh, like a i'm trying to remember what size motor we got like a three-quarter horse electric motor to run that squirrel cage which is your blower um and it can pay they'll pay for themselves in a summer because what happens is is you it, it gives you an extra probably month month and a half on each side when stuff starts getting hot so before it gets real real hot and you sort of have to go to um you have to go to you know your ac it makes it to where you don't have to run that ac for a couple of months so you can knock down your power bill by quite a bit and especially out here you know it gets so hot in the summer that those one or two months or that little bit of extra time before you have to uh, kick on the AC really helps quite a bit. Also, what's nice is even in the months where it's cooler out um, and you're saying, well, it's cool enough outside. I wouldn't need the thing on anyway. I could just open up the windows and could of let the breeze go through. Well, let's say if there's no breeze, it's cool, but there's not a lot of breeze and you kind of want to move the air through. You don't, you don't have to run the water. You can do it to where it's just the, the fan only. And so it'll bring in that outside cool air and it will, and you can, what's nice about it, the way it works is you've got the, uh, an ingress and that's going to come in, you know, from the, from the swamp cooler. And then it works like on a, on a, uh, basically on a pressure thing. And so as that air blows through, if you open up a window in a room, that becomes sort of the path of least resistance for the air to want to be pushed out or to, to be drawn out and so it'll go through that room. So you can actually kind of spot cool different rooms depending on how you've got it set. You can, if you've got an attic access inside your house and it's just hot and you're just like, man, I just want to kind of exchange some of this air, blow that hot, uh, the, the air outside, the cool air outside, maybe through the house and then up into the attic and then eventually you'll exchange that volume of air up in the attic and it will again help reduce your cooling costs because you don't have that big mass of hot air that's stuck up in your roof Um, a lot of times what happens in the summer when it's really hot is i've got an attic access out in the garage as well and then the way that i had set up the cooler i've got to where i can have it either go through the house or i can have it go out through the garage and what that does is during the summer, I can basically cool the cool that attic off and kind of cool the garage down some. Now, when it's super hot, even you know when it's like 110 or 115 outside, you're not going to be using that cooler, the swamp cooler, too much. Uh, sometimes it's still good to use that to go through the garage and even going through the attic because that attic temperature is going to be you know. I mean, it's going to be hot. It's going to be 130, 140 degrees up there. Um, and if you can take 115 degree air, let's say, and you can replace in, and, and, uh, you can use that 115 degree air to replace that 130 or 140 degree air that's up in your attic. Again, you, you know, it's the, it's that big heat sump that's up there. That's not going to be there. So your air, your, your, uh, air conditioner isn't going to work as hard. So again, you're going to save some money even doing it that way. Uh, so anyway, uh, enough about that stuff. Let's jump on to the second part of uh, Mike's email. And this, what he's talking about is the, um, scrolling through the iPhone here again. He's talking about, we were talking about water storage and different things that you can use. Uh, and so he writes in, uh, Uh, Have you ever thought about putting your water barrels in a rack to have them on their sides uh, up high enough that you get the advantage of gravity? And this way, you don't need a pump to get to your water. You use the three quarter inch hole at the bottom for your valve uh, slash hose hookup, and the uh, two inch, and the top two inch is where you fill it and can be opened as a vent when you want to get water out fast. Uh, With a setup like this in the garage, you don't have to worry about moving your smaller water containers, the 5 to 7 gallon ones, to the vehicle. You can put them in the vehicle empty and then fill them from the barrels. And this would be uh, in a power out no city water emergency. And if you are bugging in, you can use the upper barrel if it's mounted high enough as a shower. And this totally eliminates the need for a pump. A pump can fail, but gravity doesn't. Okay, well a couple of things on that. I had I've, I've seen the racks before, and I'd thought about maybe building them, and uh, then filling them. and the, the way what you, what he's talking about is you basically uh, you build a rack, and then you put your barrels in there empty, and then you rotate them to where you've got uh, on the top of those fifty five gallon barrels are two basically bungs. And if once they're on their side, you would put one to where that one bung is. You know, they'd be they'd be vertic- um, vertical. So you'd have one at the bottom and then one at the top. So when you're looking at them, you know they're they're right on the top. And then you also have them a li- at a little bit of an angle, not much, but at a little bit of an angle. And what that would allow you to do is on that bottom bung. Or whatever the bung's on the bottom, they'll also have uh, a place usually where you can you can punch it out, and then you can screw in like a hose bib type thing, uh, and then you uh, and then you would be able to attach a hose to it, run it to different parts of the house, do whatever, blah blah blah. You've got it up high enough uh, to where the uh, the hose is going to be lower, and so the water is going to it's going to seek that lowest point. Um, and it was to me it was going to be a little bit more trouble than what it was worth uh and then what he was talking about too on the vent if you want you would unscrew the top one you've got the water level in the barrel low enough to where the the water doesn't come gushing out obviously when you do the vent um and again for me it was going to be a little bit more of a pain uh to do that because for me what I'm going to have to do because the garage gets so hot in the summer is before and actually before it gets too much hotter I'm going to want to take I'll have to empty those barrels out uh, and then I'll kind of clean them out again real quick and then I'm going to need to move them inside and I can just put them in, in uh, a couple of different rooms in the house throw a uh, a um, oh like a tabletop cloth like a tablecloth over him to where it doesn't look too hideously bad uh, and then for the few months for the three or four months when it's super hot inside it would be super hot inside the garage we can keep him at least you know somewhat climate controlled and because i'm going to do that I, I don't know i don't really think i would do the uh, the um uh, the racks, and like I said, I have seen them. I like the idea of the shower. The only thing with that is probably what I would—if we were having to do something like that—I would probably just take a, um, like a five-gallon bucket, and then I would just put in again, like a hose bib connector to it, and I could actually—that way you could even, uh, or a, uh, um, uh, what's what am I thinking of? <laughs> like a little shower uh, head adapter thing. Anyway, I could easily rig up a shower where I could actually almost use a shower head, hang that up and then just have the, um, the, the, the hose come out of the bottom of that five gallon bucket. And then I could put in, you know, two or three gallons or whatever we're going to use. And you can really monitor what that is. Um, and then you could even heat those up and put them in that way and all that stuff. Um, now I do agree that gravity is your friend and all that stuff. And another thing that I, that I like about having the the barrels upright is again, I do get gravity as my friend. And as you said in your email, things do fail. So those bungs could fail. The the seals on there could fail. It could drip out. Uh, And if it, uh, if it was a thing where it kind of failed and I had them up on the racks, if it gushed out and then if it just so happened that, you know, that day when I got home, whoopsie, those things, you know, those things all leaked out. And, uh, it just so happens today's the day that they're saying, well, the water is going to be shut off for a couple of three days. So, uh, but anyway, when they sit upright, even if those seals fail, the water, you know, again, gravity is going to help me. The water is not going to shoot up out of those things. They're not going to leak up. So, I think, you know, for me, long-term, I'll probably do them. I think, you know, I would probably maybe do the racks if I had, if I had maybe a smaller, uh, a smaller size barrel. Maybe if I had a 30-gallon or probably even maybe some of the 15s, I could maybe stack them up uh, and do it that way. Now, I do like the idea about having the, if you were going to move your five to seven gallon containers out Um, for me it's not going to be a big deal to pick those up and move them but if i've got a broken foot or a broken ankle and i'm on crutches i may not be able to move those things around and the question would then be is my wife going to be able to pick those things up Um, and like i said i think she could if she had to we've got a little floor dolly i know she could pick them up and put them on there wheel them out uh, and then get them into the car or the truck or whichever vehicle we're going to take to uh, to leave if we had to leave. Which would be, oh, God, it would be a horrible situation if that ever happened. Uh, but anyway, thanks, Michael, for sending those in. I appreciate it. I tell you what, you answered my question about that. If you know, is there, re- is there a, a, a main difference between those shark bites and that, like I said, like I think they were called alligator jaws or alligator bite or something like that. Um, but if those are real shitty or those are garbage or something and what you really need to have is the shark bike ones, uh, then that's the ones of course I would get. So maybe if you can uh, pop in a quick email or just post something over on Facebook or something like that. So hopefully it's not too much of a pain in the ass for you to do that.
0: Hey, Tony, Brad from West Michigan. Hey, I wanted to forward this uh, review on to you and your listeners. Uh, it's about a product that I've known about for many years. But until recently, uh really didn't give it much thought or use. It's called OpenDNS.com, and it is available for free online at OpenDNS.com. Now, what is DNS? DNS is Domain Name Service, which basically means um, it translates your domain name, or let's say, for instance, Google.com. Uh, To an IP address, which then allows your browser to go to Google's server or website. Now, why would I need to change my DNS servers, which my ISP or my internet service provider provides for me? Basically, OpenDNS is their DNS servers are faster. There's many more of them, so they don't get clogged up as fast as your. ISP's DNS servers do. They're also more secure. And you can also um, set up like blocked websites so that if there's websites you don't want your family or kids to access you can do this through OpenDNS. Now how do I use it? Basically you go to OpenDNS's website and you get the DNS server information. There's two IP addresses which you'll need. And you'll plug those into any device you have that hits the web. Basically, your routers, your Macs, your PCs, Xbox, PlayStation, etc. The one device that I found, actually, that I have that doesn't allow you to do this is the Roku box. For some reason, Roku doesn't allow you to tweak or change any network settings, which is, in my opinion, crazy. But it is what it is. So you go to opendns.com and you get your DNS IP addresses and you plug those in and there is uh, instructions there that will step you through the process for any make model, or I'm sorry, any make router that you have, your PC, your Mac, etc. It's really easy to do. You can set up an account if you'd like. It's free. Um, This will allow you to monitor your DNS lookups. It will also allow you to uh, block certain websites like I mentioned. And you can also download a program from OpenDNS, which you can run locally on your computer. And that will allow you to, it will allow OpenDNS to monitor your IP address, which, I guess to put it simply, you're, when you have a, a service from your ISP um, that's a dynamic IP address your ISP is not gonna assign your router or your cable modem or what have you a static IP address unless you have a business account which is a lot more expensive well open DNS monitors those changes I won't get into it too much but it's kinda of geeky but for those of you who need to access your devices from outside your router or your cable modem etc this is really handy to have highly recommended it. it's more secure it's faster it's easy to do It would take five minutes to make changes Um, to your PC, Mac, uh, your Xbox, all all your devices. And uh, it's a great, great service. That's about it, Tony. Hope this helps you or your listeners. And we'll talk to you soon, brother. Bye.
1: Hey, Brad, thanks for sending that in. Great to hear from you again. And uh, glad things are going well for you. That sounds like a pretty cool service. I think I'm going to check that out. Now, what I'll also do, of course, is I'll put a link to that. Over on the website in the show notes at uh, thearmedape.com. Uh, I I think I know what what you're talking about and I think I know what it does, but when it comes to you know computers, I'm pretty stupid. Uh, so I but it sounds pretty cool. It sounds pretty neat, especially being able to kind of like do some custom twerk, uh, twerks, <laughs> dumbass, <laughs> do some custom tweaks. Oh, you know one thing, Brad. I don't know if you'll have the time or if you'll be able to do it, um, but maybe sometime in the future. I know you had talked about that you you guys were going to maybe kind of uh, cut the cord with like cable or with um, like a satellite provider type thing and you were just going to go with things like, you know, Netflix or things, you know, like a, a almost like an a la carte service. Um, and I didn't know if you had done that or not. If you had, I wanted to... Uh, uh, to kind of see how that had worked out for you. One of the things that I noticed when I, I had uh, signed on to my PlayStation we were going to watch Netflix and they had the Amazon Prime thing up there, the, just the Amazon videos. And so they're giving me like a free Prime membership for a month. And so I did that trial and of course with that you got to make sure that you go in and say don't, you know, cancel the upgrade thing cuz if you don't it's like 80 bucks a year. Um, so anyway, the, the way that it's set up now, it looks like it's just it's only given me the, uh, the trial membership on just the movies and stuff. It's not letting me do it for the books. Now I know I'm sure that if I did the prime, the full prime thing, or maybe I'm wrong, but I think if I did the full prime thing, I would get you know the, uh, the ability to have some of those books and read the books as long as my prime account was in good standing, basically being as long as I was paying it. Um, right now, what I get with the trial membership is I get the upgraded two-day shipping for at no cost. And I get, um, like, I don't pay a premium on it, I guess, or something like that. So I think it still would cost me to ship. It's not like I get free shipping, two, free sh- two-day shipping. But I don't pay the premium cost to get that, I think. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, um, so anyway, this Amazon Prime thing popped up. And I was looking at it and I was thinking, you know, this wouldn't be too bad because let's say if you were going to get a, um, a season of Dexter, a show that my wife likes. And I like it pretty well too, which is a show called Nurse Jackie. But she, I mean, that's, she really likes that show. So to buy the whole season, I think it's like 20 bu- $18 or $19 or something like that. And then, or if you bought, you could buy each individual episode but they're about two bucks per episode. So it's actually cheaper to buy the whole season. Now, the only time you would probably, and this is a show that's on Showtime. So it would, it, it actually turns out even at that 20, that, that 19 or $20 fee that you would pay the one time. And then you get those. And I think you get them. I think you own them at that point. I think you're, you're buying them for good. Uh, unless I'm wrong. And if I am somebody out there, correct me. Um, but it's, you know, you've got them, and I think as long as you've got space on the hard drive, and I'm sure you could transfer it to a separate. Um, uh, I've drawn a blank. A separate hard drive, you know, a external hard drive. There we go. Um, I'm sure you could transfer it to that, and probably keep them that way in digital form. Which I think eventually, probably just about everything is going to go to anyway, um, but. Anyway, it was still cheaper than saying, paying, like, let's say that if I like so, so on Showtime, let's say that if I like Dexter and I like Nurse Jackie, I can buy those things for, let's say, $40, 50 Well, if I'm paying per month for uh, for Showtime but I don't really watch too much other stuff on there, maybe an occasional thing here or there, I'm paying $14, $15 a month, maybe even more, so that in two months time, or maybe even during the, the, uh, the run of those shows, it, it actually works out cheaper than me paying all year for that. Well, especially it comes out then cheaper than paying for all year of that stuff. And again, it becomes the a la carte thing. You're not paying for stuff that you don't want. The one thing I kind of have a hard time with that stuff, but I guess you'll probably just have to get over it is, you know, th- there are certain like network shows. So like Fox and ABC and stuff like that, they, They're still charging a couple of bucks or three bucks per episode. If it's a popular show, sometimes it's a little bit more. And that kind of galls me a little bit to pay for something that's normally free. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, let's say if you like that show Sons of Anarchy and uh, you'd missed the last couple of episodes of it. Man, that would be nice uh, if it was just gone and they weren't rerunning them that you could just go and pay 4 or $5 and boom, you've got those episodes right then and there. So anyway, Brad, if let me know, um, how that stuff works out. Cause I think my contract is going to end with the satellite company at the end of this year. I think I have to, I have to go the full year. So, you know, I've still got a ways to go. I've got about another eight months left before it ends. And I think at that point I'll either do one of two things will either cancel cable all and I will just buy a antenna, a, a high-def antenna that I can get all my local stations or I may just do the bare bones basic thing and then I can just buy the stuff that I want a la carte or maybe buy one or two channels a la carte because they, they will let you do stuff like that. So let's say that if you really liked outdoor channel you can pay, you know, three, four, five dollars a month for it, or something. And if it's, and if it's uh, if you like a lot of the shows on that particular thing, you can do it that way. Now, I, I would assume, let's say that if you liked FX and you liked AMC or you liked, uh, and it wasn't part of that basic package, you could probably work a deal with whatever uh, provider you've got. Um, but I know uh, I looked at those Roku boxes, and I think they're about a hundred bucks. Um, and again, I don't know, you know, how much some of that stuff is going to be, uh, you know, or if it would if it would work out for me long term. So let me know kind of what you think of that Roku box as well. Then, of course, again, you know, only if you have time, you know, and and, and would like to do something like that. But I'd love to, I'd love to get your opinion on some of that stuff. You know, that's one of the things that I really like about this show is that we can. You know, it, it's it's one of those things a lot of times you're just you're hard pressed to figure out like, well, man, is this something is this something that's really worth the money or is it long term? You know, when I first got it, I thought this certain thing was super awesome. But now that I've had it for six months, eh, it's not all that's cracked up to be type thing. So but anyway, I think, you know, through things like. Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, maybe get a Roku box. I think, and with a, maybe like a high def antenna, I think we could probably. I mean, I think I could get probably everything that I would want, um, and that may even be in conjunction, maybe with keeping the um, keeping the cable box, just so that I have like a DVR thing, and and but I don't know. It, it may be one of those things where. Uh, I, I could get like a separate thing or rig up something to where I could uh, record on, uh, on a hard drive type thing or, or have my own, uh, basically my own standalone DVR that I could just hook into the TV and it would record whatever's on the screen type thing. I don't know. Um, what, what is nice about having the cable or the satellite stuff is you get the program guides I don't know if you're doing stuff separate if you're able to get that or if you just sort of have to know when the times are and punch them in like you used to do with your old VCRs and stuff Uh, so anyway hope to hear from you again real soon Brad again thanks for sending that in and like I said glad to hear things are going good for you man those planes are loud Uh, let's see oh uh, what I wanted to talk about, uh, and I w- I think I was talking about, uh, or, or uh, what I had in mind to talk about was that, that show Doomsday Preppers. Now w- with that thing there, there's definitely sort of two ways that you can look at that show. And one is it's in kind of a negative light. And then in another way you can kind of. Say, well, if you're giving me lemons, I'm going to make lemonade type thing. So let's talk about maybe that negative thing first, I guess. and Maybe we'll kind of talk about them, negative and positive, both at the same time. I do think that the people that they choose are very extreme people. And I think that a lot of times there is a... kind of a thing of you know look at these idiots look at what these you know morons are doing none of this shit's gonna happen and and uh, these guys are all fools um, but you know on the other hand it does seem when they when they try and do their expert assessment now I don't know who their experts are who their consultants are um, but if you've never seen the show, but I, maybe I should describe it first, kind of how it happens. Is what they do is they go around, and of course it's called Doomsday Preppers. It's just I, I guess because you got to have a catchy title, you know, and you got to rope people in. And what they do is they find people that are preparing, that are putting things aside, and each person usually will have a very specific thing that they are concerned might happen. So one week they'll have a guy. And usually they, they, they uh, do like three, three people or so on the show, at least always two. Um, but they'll have one guy, maybe he fears that an economic collapse is coming and that there will be chaos and disorder. And so that's why he's putting things aside. They have another guy who fears that there's going to be uh, an EMP, which is an electromagnetic pulse that's going to destroy the grid, and it will take a long, long time for the grid to come back. And, then, and and they think that during that time, they need to have stuff set aside because the world is going to revert to barbarism for a while. Because there's not going to be electricity. And it's not just a matter of turning a switch back on or doing that because a lot of the components will have been fried. Uh, you have people who, who fear a pandemic, uh, who fear that there's gonna something is gonna happen in one part of the world and it's gonna be a, a horrible, horrible disease? And it's going to, because of the way that modern travel is, a guy can be in China on Thursday and by Friday he can be in Los Angeles. And uh, so that way, disease and things can spread if somebody's contagious, can spread very, very quickly. And if it's uh, a pretty harsh disease and if people don't have a lot of resistance to it, um, you know, it could spread throughout the world. And again, uh, the the fear of the pandemic wouldn't necessarily be that you would die, but that uh, there would be so much death because people have no immunity to this thing and no way to really fight it off and there, or there's not going to be enough medicine available to let you fight it off to give your body time to recoup is that lots of people in key sectors and key services are going to die and so the power plants are going to go, medicine is going to run out. Again, kind of goes back into uh, a little bit of barbarism there or just where there's, there's nothing available. Uh, you know, also in that type of situation, people would panic, and in pretty much all of these situations, most people would panic, and they would start to uh, buy stuff in a, in a last-ditch effort to you know get what they could get, especially with food, water, things like that, certain medical supplies. So anyway, they focus on people, and they say, you know, this is what these people have, this is what they're doing, and at the end of it then they say this is how likely that this person what they fear going to happen you know massive earthquake whatever these are the odds that this might happen and then they have an expert or a panel of experts who say you know these are the areas where we think you're really strong these are areas where we think you're weak and where you could improve on and they give them recommendations and uh about half the time the people that get the recommendations half the time they be kind of become indignant and, and sort of you know don't listen to the advice the other half of the time the people say well you know i i you know we're strong here and here and yeah you were right we did need to kind of improve some of the things here and so we've done some of that and like i said i'm kind of two minds of the show and i think that on one hand, it, it does paint these pictures and it does paint these paint these people, excuse me, in kind of a buffoonish light, and, and kind of a thing of you know, like I said before, you know, look at these idiots and let's all have a good laugh at their expense. But on the other hand, what it does is it does show that you know it doesn't hurt to prepare. And even if you were saying, you know what, you know, there'd be a person that says, you know what, I don't really think there's going to be, you know, these giant solar flares, or I don't think there's going to be this, or I don't think there's going to be that. But, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there would be a storm where I'm stuck in the house for a week, or maybe there's going to be a power outage for three or four days because I kind of live in a rural area and it may even be a week or two because they're going to take care of the cities first. So in, in that way, it does at least give some, a little bit of awareness and stuff to it. I still like the show. I like watching it. You do get some good ideas from some of the people, um, from also there's there, you also see some very unrealistic things that people how they think things are going to go and if it really came down to sort of that dog eat dog world we can look back in history and see how that goes Um, those that have prepared farewell and those that have not are at the mercy of those that have prepared Um, so it, it you know most of you guys listening to this show most of you are going to be firearms owners you may not own, you know, 35 guns or whatever, but you've got, you know, a couple of firearms and you've got them for self-protection. You've got them, uh, even if your primary use was, you know, you like to go dove hunting or something, you can still use that 12 gauge shotgun or that 20 gauge shotgun is a fantastic home defense weapon. Um... But most of you guys already have firearms, and you know that the real purpose of firearms is not for hunting. The real purpose of firearms is to keep you alive in the event that you're attacked. It gives you an option that you're not otherwise going to have. Uh, you know, if you're going to have to use harsh language with somebody or throw a stick at them, or some people will say, well, heck, I can pick up a butcher knife. Well, knives are contact weapons. You have to be touching close. You have to, and if, and you know... And if you're not good with a knife and, or if that guy is, is uh, even if you're decent with it and you stab the dude a couple of times, if he's whacked out of his gourd on meth and he's feeling no pain, he may not realize he's even been cut. And, again, you have to be close. The thing about a firearm, especially a shotgun, uh, you know, you hit him. And especially with a shotgun, you—if you shoot them two, three times, there—I don't know many, many people that are going to get up either from one or two slugs to the chest, or one or two, uh, one or two rounds of uh, you know double lot buckshot. You know, if you've got even if even if let's say you miss with half the pellets, and you pump two you know two rounds into them even if you missed with half of those pellets let's say if you only got four of your pellets because a guy was moving or or, you know you kind of panicked a little bit when you pulled the trigger and if you hit him twice you're still talking about eight to probably eight to ten pellets in that guy that's basically like getting shot eight to ten times with a nine millimeter and it's all at once so when those things are hitting you you're getting a lot of damage you're getting a lot of energy that's dumping into that person much more so uh, than with the individual round striking somebody. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of, kind of a little bit on a tangent here, there's a lot of myths about shotguns, and most of you guys are aware of them and understand that you have to aim them. You don't, you don't just shoot them. Um, I, I think one of the big myths about a 12-gauge or even a 20-gauge, you know, but especially with the 12-gauge, is the idea that you hit that guy once and they're just going to drop dead right then and there. Again, maybe, maybe not. Maybe if you... I I would probably say, yeah, if I hit you dead center in the chest from about 7 to 10 yards away, and those pellets haven't really expanded all that much, you're probably not going to get up from that. Um, Or if if you do, you're probably going to, especially if I get you in the chest... You're, you're going to bleed out. But if you were running across the room at me and I panic and I, I fire off around, and like I said, maybe only one or two or of those pellets hit you and they kind of hit the guy maybe off in the arm or maybe one of them hits him in the head but it glances off and it just so happens to, you know, kind of trace around his skull. You know, these are things that people don't seem to think about. When they imagine these certain scenarios, you know, if somebody broke into the house, uh, but anyway, the thing that got me thinking about about having the the, the firearms is, it, and the show does a good a good job of what they say is: look, you've got all this food, you've got all this water, you've you've got these gardens, you're growing food, you're doing this, you're doing that, you've got medicine, you've got supplies, but you've got no way to protect it, you've got no way to defend it. And there was one show that I saw where these people and they were. They were very liberal, um, but and, and they were they were you know they at least they weren't as del, so delusional that they thought if something bad happened that everybody would come together and hold hands and sing songs and and uh, everybody would share everything. You know they knew that we needed to put stuff aside. They knew that they needed to grow food, but they talked about how they did not want to have firearms. They were basically anti-gun. And one of the things that I found fascinating was they were, they were an, an older couple and then they also had a younger couple that was, I, I think they were friends with them. I don't think they were relations. I think they were just friends with them. And these, these four people were working together and they were kind of all that same philosophy of, you know, Oh, if you know, everything goes kind of tits up. we we'll, uh, you know, the four of us will come together and, and, uh, we'll be able to share food and this and that and and people will follow our example and uh if if you know some bad people do come through you know we'll just we'll give them what we have and you know hopefully they'll let us keep something and, and by our they'll be overwhelmed by our generosity and and uh they basically won't bludgeon us to death with you know hammers and then when the point was brought up to them about, well, you know, what if these people are going to take everything that you have or, or what if they aren't as friendly as you think that they're going to be? What if they're, you know, violent aggressors? And the one guy said, the younger guy, and he's kind of like this hippie dude, and he says something, well, you know, even if they don't, you know, if they're not grateful or it seems like they're going to try and take all our stuff, we can either just poison them or we'll wait till they go to sleep and we'll slit their throats. And this is what this guy's plan was. And I thought, well, if, if you've got like a violent gang and a gang could be like three or four guys, if they're armed you're and you're not, you're at their mercy. And the guy, I guess it, 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 he had no concept that maybe that they just wouldn't take, take the men out and just shoot them in the head. You know, he, 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 in, in his plan, in his mind, the way in his scenario, the way he saw stuff was, he was going to be alive. He wasn't going to be tied up. He wasn't going to be beaten half to death. You know, his wife wasn't going to be repeatedly raped. You know, his friends weren't going to be, you know, murdered right in front of him. That type of thing. You know, and, and so in, in that aspect... I think that even when we look at some of these people and they're doing something maybe that we feel, ah, that doesn't make a lot of sense or they need to think it through, at least what it does for us is it gives us the ability to game some situations and some scenarios that maybe we we wouldn't think because maybe our situation is a little different than theirs. But we see something that they're doing or not doing and we think, oh, you know what? Yeah, I need to do something a little different or I need to change this this and that. Or I need to just maybe tweak something here a little bit. Uh, So anyway, let me know what you guys think about kind of that that Doomsday prepper show. Uh, Whether you like it, hate it, think it has some value or not. Uh, One of the other things I wanted to talk about too, uh, kind of we talked a little bit about sort of some of the myths of firearms and shotguns. Just We just touched on them just a little bit. But a lot of times... Uh, especially in the prepper community, when people talk about, well, look at the, uh, and most of the stuff, and this is uh, centers around electricity goes away and, and, or key people who need to run the electricity and make sure that it gets to you are killed or, or whatever, or aren't able to maintain that stuff. And so for whatever reason, the, basically the fall of society is basically because electricity goes away because our world runs on, Electricity. Um, and it also runs on fossil fuels, uh, and the ability and, and really realistically, I guess, probably what our reward, excuse me, what our world really runs on is fossil fuels. Because if you don't have the trucks, if you don't have the fuel to get to the, to get to the resources and then to refine those resources and to provide them to people in their homes, you're not going to have anything. Uh, but most of the scenarios, they, they, they kind of happen where, because this electricity goes, goes away. Um, but a lot of times when they talk about that, people talk about things like, well, you know, in the late 1800s, people didn't have electricity. And even, uh, and even in the early 1900s, lots of people didn't have electricity, and so a lot of times when people talk about these disaster situations, they say, well, we're going to be catapulted back to, you know, 1834. Because there's, there's not going to be any electricity. There's not going to be any cars. There's not going to be, you know, all this other stuff. And that is true in that situation. But what they also think of is that a lot of times they, they, they seem to forget that while people were very self-reliant back in those times, there were very, very few people who were totally self-sufficient. And those are two very different terms when we talk about self-reliance and and self-sufficiency. If you're self-sufficient, you basically don't need anybody to do anything for you. You can make your own clothes, you can grow your own food, you can butcher your own meat, you can make your own weapons, uh, you can make your own tools. I mean, when we're really talking about self-sufficiency, or it's a thing where, and this would be cheating a little bit, you've you've been able to get a forge, or you've been able to get an anvil or certain tools, and then you can pretty much with those things make just about everything else you need. And once you get those things, then yeah, you become much more self-sufficient. Uh, but it's, it's almost impossible to be 100% self-sufficient in the world that we live in today. And even if you look back to the 1800s, to the 1700s, to the 1600s, most of those people, while they would be very, very self-reliant, would not have been totally self-sufficient. Uh, And if we look at some of the people who would have been probably the the people we would have really considered to be one of the most self-sufficient groups, if we look in American history, you would probably look at the mountain men. Because, uh, again, let's look at it as an individual. But even with him, you know, he had, you know, those guys would come down out of the mountains, they would sell their pelts they would use those to buy certain supplies and things like that that they couldn't get that they couldn't grow and even if you look at certain big farmers and ranchers those guys if if they were able on their rancher on their farm to have enough crops to grow enough food to feed their livestock to have enough livestock to feed themselves they're not doing it by themselves one guy and his family are not doing that when it gets to be that big of an operation, you are depending on other people. So sometimes I think there is the myth of sort of self-sufficiency and I think that gets confused with a little bit of self-reliance. I think you should try and make yourself as self-reliant as possible, meaning that if something breaks, if something, you know, at least you have a, uh, you might have an opportunity to fix it. Or it's a thing where you say, you know what, this is beyond me. You sort of know your limits so that you don't end up maybe burning your house down because you thought you were smart enough to rewire it when you weren't. Or you said, you know what, boy, this, uh, like with, with me the other day with a water heater, we, I probably could have done it with help from, one of my cousins, because he's the guy's, you know, super smart and everything. But let me tell you, there was so much other crap that happened with that, with drywall and all this other junk, and it could have been done. But instead of it being done in one or two days, it would have been weeks. It would have been a huge pain in the ass to get all that stuff up and going and get it, and get it done properly. Uh, but again, sometimes that's what self-reliance can can show you is you can know, okay, well, it's time to call in the repairman, and. Kind of getting back with that a little bit. A lot of times you hear people, especially in the prepper community, oh, everybody calls a repairman. Everybody does this. Everybody farms everything out. They didn't used to do that in my grandmother's time. You know, back in the in the late for in the late fifties or thirties, or you know, in the twenties or something. Well, guess what? There were still plumbers in the twenties. There were handyman in the twenties. There were repairmen in the twenties and thirties that did that stuff. There, you know, we forget that there were whole industries of people. That would go around and would fix things for people. Um, there used to be, and in fact, uh, my uh, I never saw it, but I my grandmother, in, when they were younger, there were people that would come out to them, and especially f- uh, for the women, they would hit a neighborhood, and these were guys that would sharpen. Uh, they would sharpen up all the kitchen knives for people. They would re put edges on them. They would put, they would regrind them. They would put points back on the blades. Uh, If a guy had uh, certain farm equipment or certain, you know, tools that they were using, you know, around their house or around their yards, you know, their half acre yards or whatever for their garden, this guy could come in a lot of times, he could, he could put edges back on those again, he could regrind and reprofile them, things like that. So, you know, I think it is a myth that, you know, there were people back in the day who were basically just out in the woods alone and they had built their cabin and they, you know, they didn't ever have any contact with anybody. Well, you know, they did have contact with people. They had, you know, they had to have, you're not going to go out in the woods and pick up a stick and pick up a rock and make a musket. You're just not, you're not going to go out in the woods and build a, a steel shovel. Even if that steel, you know, by today's standards would be crappy, you're not going to build. You're not going to build that by yourself. Um, so anyway, that was just kind of one of those things too. That when I was watching that doomsday preppers, it kind of got me thinking. Let me know what you think. I'd be interested to hear, kind of what you think. Maybe some of the differences are between sort of self-reliance and self-sufficiency, and and uh, or if you have examples of people you think that were, or a, a group of people that you thought were really self-sufficient. Um, but I'd really be interested if, if you could kind of keep into the things that I was talking about as an individual, could you ever really be a hundred percent self-sufficient? And even if you include your family, could you, you know, could you really do that? And I guess maybe going more beyond just existing, just surviving. You know, just not basically you're not dying the next day, uh, but to where you could actually thrive and be self-sufficient. Well, I tell you what guys, um, I'm going to, uh, I'm still at the park here. What I'm going to do when I get back home, I'm going to plug in, uh, a song, a little bit of a song, uh, it's kind of a little bit of a blurb and I'll give you a hint. It's, it's from a cartoon. That's the only hint I'm going to give you. And if you want to get in on the book contest to get that code, uh, to get the discount or a free book, I'm not sure which, how he's going to do it. Um, I'll play that song for you guys and then email me in or call in on the voicemail. Let me know, hey, this is what that show was from.
0: Hello, Finn? I'm a buff baby that can dance like a man. I can shake a my fanny, I can shake a my can.
1: I'm a tough tootin' baby, I can punch your buns. Punch your buns, I can punch all your buns. If you're an evil witch, I will punch you for fun. <laughs> hey, there you are. All right, monkeys, I think I'm going to sign off. I've babbled on enough. I want to give a shout-out to my homie, Ken, over in Afghanistan. Uh... Stay safe out there. You know, be real careful, and i look forward to seeing you again when you get back into the States. Uh, also looking forward to your review that you're going to send in when you get time. And I've got a couple ideas, or not ideas, I guess I've got a couple of uh, uh, feedback that I'll send over to his show. Now, Ken also does his show, which is the Rimfire Podcast, uh, so check that out. Uh, and he's doing that, usually he's doing that stuff from Afghanistan, which is pretty cool. So... Uh, All right, monkeys, I'm going to wrap it up, and I will talk to you guys next time. Take care.
0: he guy's got a monkey scrotum and he's bragging about it.